Welcome to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, presented by Living Stream Ministry. These life studies explore every book in the Bible from the perspective of the believer's enjoyment and experience of God's divine life in Christ through the Holy Spirit. These messages unveil how the scriptures can be living and more than mere doctrine to man. Today, we bring you recorded excerpts of Witness Lee's original speaking, along with some of our own comments and thoughts. If you have questions, please send email to radio at lsm.org. Now, let's join today's program. Isaiah chapter 40 marks the beginning of the second section of the prophecy Isaiah. And just as the New Testament begins with John the Baptist ushering in the appearing of the glorious Christ, so does this incredible prophetic chapter. Stay with us today as we see the experience of God's full salvation in Christ unfolded from the pages of the Old Testament prophet Isaiah on this Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, a program furnished by Living Stream Ministry. And with us once again, Ron Kangas, as we come to this, I would say, monumental chapter 40 of Isaiah. Welcome back, Brother Ron. I'm glad to be here. Isaiah 40 is one of the greatest and most wonderful chapters in all the scriptures. And it marks, as we will begin to see in this program, a marvelous turn in what is revealed in the book of Isaiah. We are really blessed to have this portion of the scriptures open to us, that we may see the Lord, that we may appreciate the new creation in Christ, that we may understand our need as humans and appreciate the Lord's salvation. Oh, all of this is ahead of us in Isaiah 40, opened up through the life study of the Scriptures. Ron, any consideration of Isaiah 40 must take as a focus the unmistakable parallels between this chapter and how the New Testament begins. In verse 3, which John the Baptist will famously re-speak, Isaiah says, The voice of one who cries in the wilderness, Make clear the way of Jehovah. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. This is an unmistakable reference, obviously, to the Lord Jesus, and we will touch it in our program today. But I'd like to open today with your comments about a much more subtle passage just before verse 3. And that's verses 1 and 2 where he says, Comfort, O comfort my people, says your God. Speak to the heart of Jerusalem. Ron, how is it that from these two verses, at least we get a subtle hint that this whole chapter is about to usher in the New Testament economy? Let's consider it in the light of the preceding 39 chapters which have much to say concerning God's righteous judgment on his people, on his dealing with the nations for their excessive and cruel treatment of Israel, and for the promise of restoration. So God is now addressing the people who have been suffering, who have been under judgment, and he begins 
with a word of consolation, a word of comfort. And this word is spoken to the heart of Jerusalem. Whenever even we as humans can speak from deep within our being to someone's heart, that is a most precious word. The source of a word of comfort like this has to be a loving concern. It surely is the opening of something promising, of something heartening. We may see a little bit later that actually the spirit of this word, comfort, comfort my people, is the spirit of the gospel of the grace of God. In a very real sense, the Lord is about to proclaim the gospel to his people, a word from his heart to ours. Well, a theme, Ron, of uh, our program today, and really I think of uh, the book of Isaiah as we continue on, is how the parallels between the whole book of Isaiah and the Bible itself are unmistakable. The first portion of 39 chapters matches, in a sense, the 39 books of the Old Testament. And then the 27 chapters of the second section unfold the 27 books of the New Testament. So let's join Witness Lee with our first portion of today's life study. This book is composed of 66 chapters. And the Bible is composed of 66 books. The uh, Old Testament contains 39 books, leaving 27 books for the New Testament. And we all know in the Old Testament, the main thing covered is God's old creation. And the New Testament, the central thing that's revealed is God's new creation. So, the two creations of God mark the boundary of uh, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now, in the first 39 chapters of Isaiah, what is covered is altogether the old creation. From chapter 40, you have another 27 chapters. The center of this part of Isaiah's prophecy is on the new creation. The new creation begins from the time of John the Baptist's coming. And we know John's coming was the very beginning of the New Testament. So, the second section of Isaiah, as the word of comfort, is the announcement of the gospel. And this announcement began with John the Baptist. Here, in chapter 40, the first thing announced was the coming of John the Baptist. Then, after John's coming, right away, Jesus' appearing followed. And that appearing of Jesus was the glory of Jehovah. Christ appeared, that means the glory of Jehovah appeared 
to be seen by so many God seekers and Christ believers, right? Christ came. But at his time, when he came, in the eyes of the Jews, he came as a Nazareth, a poor little Jesus. But Isaiah says, that is the glory of Jehovah. Well, it depends upon people's discernment. You know that old prophet Simeon, in Luke chapter 2, he says, this is the glory of Israel. And this is the light of the Gentiles. That little humble, despised Jesus, in the eyes of the discerning Simeon, was the glory of Israel and the light of the Gentile. Then how about to you? To you and me. My, that is the glory of God shined into us. So today, he is the hope of glory within us. He is the glory of God. Ron, I just love this chapter and how it matches so perfectly uh, what is revealed to us in the Gospel of John and the whole New Testament. John the Baptist ushers in Christ, then immediately introduces us to the glory of That's the same sequence that we see in Isaiah chapter 40. First, Christ is revealed, the Lamb of God. Then his glory is revealed. But the glory of Christ in the New Testament was quite concealed. He appeared to be a lowly son of a carpenter and a man of poor estate. So only those with discernment could see the hidden glory. And chief among them was this marvelous aged Simeon in Luke 22 who said of him that he was the light for revelation of the Gentiles and the glory of Jehovah's people Israel. Ron, it seems to be the same today. To the worldly people, Christ is nothing. But to us into whom he has shined, he is the glory of God and the hope of glory within us. We really are the recipients of this marvelous shining, aren't we? We are, and I would gently go one step further When Simeon, this elderly seeker of the Lord, realized that the infant Jesus in his arms was the promised Savior, the Messiah, he certainly was not one of the people of the world, indifferent. Neither was he a a typical religionist. He was a seeker of the Lord, eagerly awaiting the coming of Christ. So today, of course, the world in its degradation is indifferent, if not hostile, has no regard, no capacity to appreciate Jesus, the Son of God. And sadly, Believers, to the extent to which they are usurped and occupied by religious concepts, like some of the religious Jews who were waiting a revolutionary leader, they also may not be able to perceive the hidden glory in this God-man Jesus. 
when the Lord came, the glory of his divinity was concealed within the shell of his humanity. We know from Matthew 16 that only a revelation given from the Father would enable us to recognize that Jesus the Nazarene is the Christ, the Son of the living God. After that revelation was given to Peter in Matthew 16, three of the disciples were with the Lord on a mountain, and he was transfigured, and the glory that was in him temporarily was manifested when his face was shining like the sun, and his garments were indescribably white and bright. So today, we cannot see the Lord physically, but we need to be like Simeon and like those privileged disciples, seeking the Lord to unveil to us in our spirit this Lord of glory, that we may know him and treasure him now and not have to wait until he is manifested outwardly. Well, Ron, this magnificent chapter is now revealed to us John the Baptist and then Christ and the glory of Christ. But now we're about to see something else in this chapter revealed, and that is mankind in general, especially mankind apart from God's glory. Let's go back to Witness Lee. Now, if you read this chapter, it firstly tells us the coming of John the Baptist. Secondly, it tells us the appearing of Christ as the glory of God. Thirdly, it tells us all men will feed, all men will wither. Only the word of God will remain forever. If you read carefully, eventually the word of God is just Christ as the gospel of God, the center of our announcing of Christ as the gospel is the word, the word. And this word is abiding. And this word is the word of life. So it is a living. My goodness, if we learn to preach the gospel as Isaiah did, we are the expert. Isaiah says, all men of flesh are grass and all their beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower feeds, but the word of God will stand forever. I, I, I'd like to check with you. Why right away in such a sentence Isaiah brought the word in? Compare the word with the feeding man. What would remain on this world among the human race? All will fade, all will wither, only the word of God will remain forever. Eventually, you have to realize this word of God was really the glory of Jehovah. That's Christ. All men are feeding, all men are withering, but Christ as the living word will remain. This indicates that all men of flesh should receive the living and abiding word of God to be regenerated, that they may have the eternal life to live forever. This is quoted by First Peter. All men are like a drop from a bucket, 
and are counted as specks of dust. That's you. All men are as nothing before God. They are counted by God as less than nothing. And all inhabitants on the earth are like grasshoppers. The most, you are just like grasshoppers. This is man. Don't forget, this is you. Ron, we just saw from chapter 40 how Christ is revealed as the glory of God and that his glory in this chapter is equated with the abiding and unfading word of God. Then he goes on in very graphic detail to reveal what man is in his natural life apart from God. Not only is there no glory, but the frailty and vanity of man's life is compared to grass that withers and flowers that fade. We heard today that this chapter is really the preaching of the gospel. And any real gospel preaching is not only one through which Christ can be seen as the hope of glory, but it must also include a revelation of who we are in our fallen condition without hope. These two realizations eventually have to go together, don't they? Yes, they must go together, and in the faithful preaching of the gospel, they do. On the one hand, we proclaim the person of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. At the same time, in the light of the revelation, the inner shining of this person through the Spirit, we have quite a shocking realization of what we really are. We're like the grass that withers, the flower that fades. We're like a drop from a bucket. We're actually less than nothing. It is a great mercy to realize this, to be saved from the enemy's lies, from our self-deception, to be saved from vanity and hopelessness, to realize that in the gospel, this Lord of glory is coming to us to make us a new creation through our faith in him by which we are born of God to receive the life of God. This is the complete gospel. Paul called it the gospel of the glory of Christ. And we know from many persons in the scriptures only when God in his glory was revealed to them even in a limited way. They realized they were nothing. They humbled themselves and let God be everything to them. Our gospel preaching should have this effect of exalting the Lord of glory and enabling the people whom we care about to realize they're nothing and they desperately need the Lord. So, Ron, John the Baptist, Christ, Christ is the glory of God, and now fallen mankind have all been revealed in chapter 40. But there's one more critical item that we don't want to miss. Let's go back to Witness Lee for our conclusion. This chapter tells us what man needs. We need the coming Christ to be announced as the great tidings. And this Christ as the great tidings is Jehovah of glory, to be revealed and seen by all flesh together. And as a shepherd feeding his flock, gathering the lambs in his arms, carrying them in his bosom, and leading those who are nourishing the young. Then man needs regeneration. 
with the living and abiding word of God. Man eventually need just to wait on the eternal God, Jehovah. To wait on God is to stop yourself, to get yourself ready to be replaced by Christ. Those who wait on Jehovah will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. Hard to mount up. You look at today's airplane. Let's mount up on the wings like eagles. That means we are eagles. They will run and will not fade. They will walk and will not become weary. Isn't this the gospel? Isn't this a kind of transformation? Now, could you see this? Firstly, in this chapter, it reveals the announcing of the gospel. Then, God's salvation in regeneration. We got regenerated. Then what? This chapter ends with, uh, I would call, the transformation. How? Because in these few verses, as the ending of the chapter, it says, these dear ones who received the word, who got regenerated, now they are waiting on Jehovah. To wait on God means what? Means to stop your activity, your move, your doing. Even, I would say strictly, to stop your living and wait on Him to receive Him as your replacement. And such a waiting one will fly and will run but not faint and will walk but not weary. This is a transformed person. So in this chapter, could you see the announcing of the gospel, the salvation, and then the following transformation. Well, Ron, if we take this chapter as a whole, we see uh, this incredible progression that matches the revelation of the whole New Testament. Review this progression again as we see this chapter and how particularly we see the matter of transformation strongly implied here. Well, in this chapter, we can see the first part, comfort, comfort my people. This has to do with the gospel. Then the portion about the word of God, that is the word that regenerates us. We are like the fading grass, but we know from First Peter that it's by this living word that we are regenerated. Then we go on from there for transformation, to learn to wait on the Lord, to just stop all of our self-effort, to wait on him and allow his resurrection life to be dispensed into our being, to invigorate us, to enliven us, to uplift us. And then, spiritually speaking, we are eagles soaring in the transcendent realm. One of the most often quoted verses from the Old Testament is that verse on, those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. Well, this, rightly understood, refers to an inward transformation that results from our setting ourselves aside 
and are waiting on the Lord and allowing him to bring into our actual Christian life the power of his resurrection. Well, Ron, this is really the great paradox of the Christian life, isn't it? The more that we employ ourselves and struggle and strive to meet God's demands, the more we experience the frailty and the weakness. But as we take a completely different approach, that of waiting before him, that's when the possibility emerges of mounting up with wings of an eagle. But this has to be worked out over the lifelong journey that is the Christian life. What are your final thoughts today, Ron? My final thoughts are an extension of what you just shared with us. This is a lifelong learning. When the Lord said in Matthew 11, when he called to those that are weary, exhausted, heavy laden, he called them to come to him and find rest through their souls. We see a very similar, if not the same, principle in Isaiah 40. We need to be brought to the point where we realize we are nothing, we have nothing, and by our natural life, we can do nothing. Once we realize this and have some impression of the glory of the Lord and his heart toward us, we simply open our being to him, turn our heart to him, and wait upon him, eagerly expecting his visiting us, As a believer, I'm still learning this. I'm learning to say to myself, Ron, just stop your effort. Open to the Lord. Turn to the Lord. Wait on Him. And let Him minister Himself into you. And then we can testify. This is not a theory to us. We know what it is to mount up with eagle's wings. To run and not be weary, to walk and not faint. Praise Him. I wish we had more time today, Ron. This is a program I think we could linger over, but it's been another opportunity to see Christ unveiled in the pages of Isaiah. And you've been a part of that unveiling for several of these uh, early programs, and I look forward to your being with us for many more as we continue on. Thanks for joining us today. And thank you for listening today. We invite you to contact us. Our toll-free number is 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 888-543-3788. Or email radio at lsm.org. For Ron Kangas, I'm Chris Wild. Thank you very much for listening today. Thank you for listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, produced by Living Stream Ministry. We have these recorded studies on every book of the Bible, available to you online, free of charge. Just visit our website, lsmradio.com. You can download the MP3 files, stream them live, or add them to your podcast subscriptions, all at no charge. Once more, the website, lsmradio.com. To contact us, send email to radio at lsm.org or call us at one triple eight life study that's eight 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 five four three 
3788. Thanks for listening today.